All right, let's pray. God, we're thankful for a time of teaching on the Lord's Day. We're thankful that you'd given us six days to work and one day to rest, although many times Sundays with the hustles and bustles of getting to church and organizing, it doesn't seem like rest, but yet you've promised that it is rest and that we rest in your saving work and that you refresh our bodies and give us good sleep. May our worship later today be holy and acceptable to you, and may we grow in faith and knowledge. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Part of growing in faith and knowledge is to make sure you're on the right paths. And so the right paths are to not create something new, but if you do think of something new, you wanna make sure that you're still on the same road of the faithful fathers of old. So to that end, when you hear a new doctrine, it needs to be tested out always through scripture as well as through other men that have studied scripture. And the Westminster Confession of Faith, larger and shorter catechism for a bit of a review, um, these were put together by the divines. And if you've ever heard, um, I'm going to get a master's of divinity, divinity, divines, they sound similar because they are. The divines are just simply a number of scholarly pastors um, and they were chosen among other pastors to represent other pastors in the church at the conference uh, that was set the Westminster. And out of that came the larger catechism and then it was, excuse me, came the Westminster Confession of Faith, then the larger catechism and the shorter catechism. And I've mentioned even that others have gone on to write a special children's catechism. And so the children's catechism would be the very simplest to understand, and the short or the children's catechism, and the shorter catechism, the larger catechism, and the Westminster Confession of Faith. And they all kind of follow each other. Um, some are more detailed, as you would expect the knowledge of a three-year-old to be less than the knowledge of a 13-year-old. And if a 13-year-old's knowledge of scripture is the same when they're 23, that's a problem. And if your knowledge and obedience at 23 hasn't grown to 33 and so on. And so I go back and forth depending on who's at church on any given Sunday, try to keep something simple for the children and, and try to uh, do some things for Westminster Confession of Faith. But today's is a little easier because the theme, we are on Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter six, Larger Catechism 21 to 30, Westminster Shorter Catechism 13 through 20. And the topic is one that everybody can relate to from probably six months old when they start to get disciplined by their mom and dad and to um, people that are 120 still struggling with this. And the topic is sin. So it's something we can all relate to. It is not complicated, it is very simple. Sin is disobedience to God. And we'll read some definitions and then we will discuss it. But this is all in context of how the divines have laid out the Westminster standards. And so it's the same with our apologetic or our defense of the faith. And that is when we start with the defense of the faith, what do we start with? In the beginning, God, right? And how do we know that there's a God? Because scripture tells us. How do we know that there's a Jesus who saves us? Because scripture tells us. Natural revelation can tell us there's a deist God, you know, a, somebody who created, an intelligent designer, if you will, but it doesn't tell us, and we know that we're sinners, but it doesn't tell us how we can be saved. And 
um, the Bible tells us how we can be saved. So the Westminster Standard starts with um, Scripture. So we know who God is, and immediately we need to understand that God is not a clockmaker God, a deist, someone that just creates and lets everything go. But every day when we're called to worship, we worship in the name of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we've talked in the past about how there are deists out there, Mormons, Muslims, Trinitarian heresies, but that we worship in the name of the triune God and how we live that out in our lives, we should be, it should be reflected in our lives that we do worship a triune God, not a deist God. And it manifests itself in many ways. We've had Sunday school lessons on that in the past. I won't go into summarizing that. And then the standards lay out God's eternal decrees, things that he's um, before the foundations of the earth, how he planned everything out, and then his creation, and what that tells about um, his Trinitarian image that we bear. We don't bear a deist image, we bear a Trinitarian image. And then we talked last Sunday, or Jeff did, about God's providences. And then today, it's sin, and then next Lord's Day, it will be the covenant. All right, so a few um, things to consider as we do of the fall of man of sin and the punishment thereafter. God is a just God, and therefore sin must be punished and atoned for. Our first parents being seduced by the temptation of Satan sinned in eating the forbidden fruit. This, their sin, God was pleased, according to his wise and holy counsel, to permit, having proposed to order it to his own glory. So, um, in the garden, you got a ton of yeses. This is a lesson for parents. A ton of yeses. Everything's a yes, except one no. Right? Very simple. And I've mentioned it before, but... Um, in Protestant churches, there's two sacraments, right? Baptism, we'll have that today. Communion, we'll have that today. You could say that there were two sacraments in the garden. What were they? Two trees. Every day he looked at them. It was a reminder, right, of what God had commanded him. Tree of? Life. Tree of life. That's right. And the tree of death, you could say, right? Um, and every day, that's the same choices that we have every day in our lives. But um, tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what is the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Because I remember as a little boy hearing that and going, I thought I wanted to know what's good and what's evil. I thought I needed that wisdom to know what to do good at and, and what would be sinful. But that wasn't the knowledge of the tree and evil. It's, it's called that, right? But that's my understanding of that wasn't accurate. Eating of that tree was a sign of what? It's every time we sin, it's a sign of that as well. Yes, sir? Rebellion. Rebellion is a good word. It's a it's correct answer. You get an A. But for that second, it's that we don't just rebel against God. We say we want to be God. We want to decide for ourselves what right and wrong is, right? We want to decide that. We try to say, God, you're not God. You don't decide what good and evil is. You don't decide what right and wrong is. I'm going to decide, in this case, what right and wrong is. Right? And so we can put all kinds of nice things, nice words on it. And rebellion isn't a nice word. 
but it's somehow, it's like, oh yeah, I was just a little rebellious. I just, I just didn't quite obey my mom or dad. No, you're taking King Jesus off of his throne. You're taking God who created you and saying no, and you're elevating him up. It's high treason. It's high treason every time we sin. Could God have prevented that from happening? Sure he could have, right? Did he allow Satan to tempt? Yes, he did. Could Adam and Eve said no to that temptation? Sure, yeah. The first covenant ever in scripture, and we'll talk about this next Lord's Day when we talk about what the, what the Westminster Standards have to say about covenant. But what's the first covenant in the Bible? It's called different things. I prefer one calling, one name more than the others. But what's the first covenant? Who was it made with? What do we, what do we call it? Yes, Quinn. Yeah. yeah, I don't like that word, covenant of works. If you understand the definition of what they mean by that, perfectly acceptable. But words kind of change over time. They morph. They have different emphasis. I call it the covenant of life. Why, is it, why do I like covenant of life? God didn't, Adam didn't choose to be born, right? God said, here, Adam, I give you life. And when somebody gives you life, it's no different than if you created a, a game or you created anything. You made a pot. I'll use a biblical example. You threw clay and you molded the pot and you made a pot. And you could use it to put water in. You made it. It's yours, right? You can use it how you want. You could break it if you want to. And God created us and gave us life. And that's the reason we were told to obey our moms and dad. They gave us life. So God created Adam. Adam didn't choose anything. God gave it to him. And he had an office. God told him what he should do, what he shouldn't do. And it was all in God's, God's plan and what Adam should do. And Adam had 100% liberty. This is it's not Arnie's word. I've used it from other people in the past. They didn't come up with this, but it's not a biblical word per se, but it's a biblical concept. God gave Adam 100% liberty. What do we mean by liberty? He had the ability to choose to either obey or disobey. He had liberty. He also had ability. What does ability mean? He could choose one or the other, right? So he had liberty, life or death, and ability to choose one or the other. Did Satan force him to do something? When you say the devil made me do it, it was an old expression from the 80s and 90s, and still sometimes we use it. Does the devil ever make you sin? Does he have power over you to make you sin? That's right. No, I love to see the children shaking their heads. No, that's right. Sometimes I trick you. I'll say like this just to see if you're paying attention and what the answer is really no. Devil can't make you sin. What does he do? What does the devil do? So oftentimes, you know, when I'm in leadership positions, I have this expression. If I were the devil, here's what I would do. Right? And I don't think that's a bad thing to say. I think we really do need to think through and try to understand the devil. But if we were the devil, what would we do to each other? 
would we tempt us? Would we tempt? Would the devil tempt us, or would we tempt ourselves with things that are regurgitating to us? Like, ugh. Like, pick the food that you detest. And that, will the devil come say and say, hey, eat this food, it's good. Oh, I don't like that. No, I'm not tempted by that. What, how does the devil tempt us? He tempts us with the desires of our own heart. Right? He tempts us with the desires of our own heart. He gives us a little rope that we can hang ourselves with. Hang as in death, right? So, do we know ourselves? Do we know the desires of our own heart? Do we know where we're vulnerable to sin and temptation? Because he's not going to tempt you on something that it's not the desire of your own heart. He's going to always tempt you on the desires of your own heart. So think about it. Adam and Eve. How many other humans were there? Zero. That's exactly right. Zero humans were there. Right? Only God. Was God distant or was he walking with them? God was walking with them in the garden, right? So it's like, okay, God told me to do this. I can and can't do this. God does this. How is it different than a little child and a parent, right? When you're a little child, you know, six months old, your world is your mom and your dad. Adam and Eve said, I want to be God. They did rebel against God, but they did more than rebel. They wanted to be God. Satan cannot force us to do what he wants us to do. He can only tempt us and seek to persuade us from our own desires. And then when we do sin, what happens? Well, what, what the Hebrew expression in the Bible is in dying, you will surely die. We die. We die. Every one of us, well, the expression is there's two sure things in life, death and taxes, but there's only one sure thing, and that is everybody is going to die. So Adam and Eve fell from sin, and, and you're going to learn a lot about this too. If, 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 if one of the elders in church um, ever does counseling, um, what, what did Adam do the minute sin came into the world? Who did he blame for his sin? He sinned, but when God talked to him about it, what did he say? God, it was the woman you gave me. So let's see. There's three people, three people on the face of the earth, right? Three people. It was God's fault because he gave him the woman and the woman's fault, but it wasn't Adam's fault. And that, that's ludicrous, but that's what we do when we sin, right? We say, I want to be God because I know what he's told me to do, but... I'm going to put myself at the, at the center. I'm going to be God. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want it. I don't want God telling me to do things. And God gave us life. God predestined, predetermined. He's providential over everything. He planned all this out. And we say, yeah, no, I have a better plan. And then when our plan falls into ruins, right, goes bad, who do we blame? God or somebody else. But it's never our fault. But what does repentance look like? You can't repent until you acknowledge your sin, fess up, learn to hate your sin, do what Jesus did, slay the dragons, right? Slay the devil in your life that's tempting to you, be done with that sin, and then do the opposite, which is repentance. So with Adam, this sin, how did it affect the world? How did the sin of Adam affect the world? 
Adam was given a position in life. What was his position? He was a representative, the first human of all humans, of all humans. He represented us. Question, did he represent you well? Right, I was looking to stump people. So how did he represent us well, and how did he represent us well, or poorly? He represented us well in the fact that if we were Adam, we were Adam, would we have done the exact same thing? Absolutely, absolutely. That's how he represented us well. How did he represent us well, or not represent us well? That is, he shouldn't have done it. He's with God. What do, we, what do we desire to do at the end of our lives? What happens when we die? Where do we want to go? Why do we want to get to heaven? Why do we want to reign with God on earth when all things at the end of, end of, end of times? Because he's God. That's what we want to do. We're conforming to his image, being sanctified, and when we're dead, right, sin is no more, we get to walk with God in the garden the rest of our lives. That's what we want. If you don't want that, you're not a Christian. That's our destination. Remember, Trinity, I've used the illustration before. God is the destination, right? Jesus is the road that takes us to the destination. And the Holy Spirit is the power in which we get there, right? But the destination is always God. And that's why, I'll go on a side tangent, that's why fathers, because every father in here is a representative. He has a duty. It's an office. And this will get into covenant too. But we, we say that we're all individuals. We all are individuals. And we all have to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Yes, yes you are. But you're all, you also have offices and positions in life that God gives to you. And you need to carry those duties out. And you don't get to decide right and wrong. You don't get to decide the definition of a husband, the definition of a wife. You don't get to decide the definition of male and female. So when you hear about girls wanting to be boys and boys wanting to be girls, what is that? I, there is no God and I hate him. I want to decide this for myself. How could God have dare said that this was sinful? How, how, if I was God, I wouldn't do that. Therefore, I'm going to act like God and I'm going to deny God's created order. Right? If you're a husband, you have to act like a husband. If you're a father, you have to act like a father. Who is the great husband model in all of scripture? You can say it out loud. Just say it loud enough that everybody can hear. Jesus. It's almost the answer for every question you ask. Jesus, God, the Bible, right? All right. Who is the ultimate standard for all fathers? So you can say it loud. God the Father. So if you're a father, you have a duty and responsibility to be a good image bearer of God our Heavenly Father. If you're a husband, you have a duty and responsibility to bear the image of Jesus. And who was Jesus' bride that he was husbanding in the verb sense? The church. The church is the bride of Christ, right? Spouses. What is your duty? To, to not act like the church today, but act as a faithful, holy bride. Um, so there's offices. It's not just individuals that we get to decide how we want to do it. 
If you're in business, you have to act according to God's ethics and standards. What's the summary of the whole law? You got the Ten Commandments. What's the summary of the whole law? Christopher, you can do it. Um, Um's not it. Act justly. Yeah, that's good. Love the Lord your God with all your mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. Yep. This is the Ten Commandments. Love God, love man, how you act toward man. The other answer was a good answer, good answer too. Um, and so we don't get to decide what that is, right? God tells us what to do, what that is, how we should act, walk, talk, and breathe. And we should do it with boldness. Why should we do it with boldness and courage? Because Jesus is king of the world. Our heavenly father reigns and rules over all. I mean, it's like you got a big brother there, right? Defending you on everything. He's going to protect you. So every day in our lives, we have the desire of our own hearts. We have our own desires to sin. We want to be like God. And God gives us complete liberty and freedom and the ability to choose right and wrong. What does sin lead to? This is all in the, the, the catechisms. What does sin lead to? Sin leads to death, yeah, misery and death. So children, when you've sinned against your mom and dad, do you feel good or do you feel bad? Feel bad. When do you, when do you start to feel good? when the relationship is restored. And how do you restore the relationship? Do you restore it being like Adam? It was, it was, it was, the, it was your fault and, cause, and, and the devil's fault because if I wasn't tempted, I wouldn't have sinned. No. You acknowledge that it's your desire and you need to change that desire. Doesn't matter what it is when you sin, it leads to misery and death. So do you think the people that are living in great sin are joy? What's the op opposite of misery and death? So we talk about repentance, right? Putting off, putting on. So if misery and death are the consequences of sin, what are the opposites of misery and death? Joy and life. Exactly right. A plus answer. Joy and life. Right? Everyone... I used to say happy, and Jeff corrected me and said, happiness really isn't a biblical concept, right? And they might, people that are in misery and death, they might seem like they're happy, but what do we know for a fact? They're miserable. Why do we know they're miserable in their sin, unrepentant sin? Because that's what the Bible says the state of affairs is. What is it going to lead to? Death. Paul goes through common sins, right? If you're a drunkard, you don't inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you're sexually immoral, men, if you're effeminate, you don't inherit the kingdom of heaven. There's all these lists, right? And what's the difference between the kingdom of heaven and hell? It's life and death. So when a parent or somebody says to a little child, and this is a bit manipulative, so I'm making fun of it, you want to go to heaven, right? The child goes, yes. You don't want to go to hell. No. And as much as that's manipulative, that's exactly right. You need to catechize your kids. Hell, bad, heaven, good. Who doesn't know that by the time they're three years old? Hell is bad. And it's not just bad because it's an eternal state of fire. Why is it bad? 
Why is hell bad? Why do we not want to go to hell? God is not there. Say That's right. You're out of the presence of God. You're out of the presence of God. Yep. Why do you want to go to heaven? What's the opposite of what Chris, Christopher just said? Because you want to be with God. Right? So all sin, all sin, great or small, all sin is deplorable, all sin is bad, all sin leads to misery and death. Right? But yet, why do we deceive ourselves in saying, if I sin in this case, it'll be okay. And then why do we cover it up unrighteously? How do we cover it up unrighteously? We lie about it, right? We don't confess it. And then what? It gets worse and worse and worse and worse. What does covering up your sin righteously look like? How, how, we sin, we all sin, right? All of us sin. Whoever's up here preaching, who's ever teaching, you know, we, we all sin. How do you cover, how is your sin covered up righteously? Or how do you cover up your sin righteously? You confess it. All you do when you come to Jesus is bring your filth, filthy rags, your sin. You're helpless. You're dead, dead, dead in your sins. Only Jesus gives you life. So when we do the confession of faith every Lord's Day on the bulletin, right? We, we say one as a group. And then we say our private, quiet prayers, right? Um, because... And you guys don't need to know how I just sinned. Unless I sinned against you, then I confess it to you and ask your forgiveness. But my private sins are between me and God, and I need to confess them every day. By confessing your sins, is that why you're forgiven? No. You can't work for your salvation. You can't. You acknowledge your sins, and then by faith, you believe what the scripture promises. All promises are believed by faith, right? We said that Sunday school was gonna start at nine o'clock and a bunch of people showed up and that was a promise and you came here by faith expecting to steady, steady this morning. We don't cover up our sins at all. Only Jesus can cover up our sins. Only Jesus can cover up sins. By, by acknowledging our sin, by changing our behavior, we're still sinners, we're just not doing that sin anymore, right? And you should not do that sin anymore, but you need to repent from it. Does the process of sanctification ever end? Like I'm 61 years old. By the time I'm 65, am I going to be less sinful? This is an easy answer. You can shout it out. No, I'm going to still be full of sin, right? I can, may, may put to death one or two sins, and feel pretty good about myself, but God's always going to be testing us. Always, there's always going to be trials that come our way. All right, so we're in this state of sin. You, you're Calvinists. We've taught on this. Basic Calvinist theology is this concept of total depravity. Who can tell me what total depravity means? Total depravity means you're totally depraved. I think if there's a rule, you, you can't answer it with, with the same words. Yes? Dead in your sins. Dead in your sins. Yep. You're dead in your sins. You're totally depraved. So 
um, does it mean that um, you're as bad as you ever can be? Or the world is as bad as it ever can be? What does totally depraved mean? It means that every molecule in your body has been marred by sin. And you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, yeah, I'm pretty good looking. Dan Collins would say that anyway. Most of us wouldn't. I'm joking. He's not even here to listen to me give him a hard time. Um, you can say, I'm not so bad compared to these other people. I'm not so bad. We're 100% totally depraved, every molecule in our body. If you think this is what it looks like to, to bear the image of God, we're totally marred. And slowly, the rest of our lives, God is working and restoring so that we become a better image of our triune God. But it means that every molecule is bad. It doesn't mean things are as bad as they can be. But it is a thought experiment because many Christians who happen to be pre-mill or pre-trib will say, oh, this world's going to hell in a handbasket. I can't believe how bad things are. It's just horrible. I, I, I wish I wasn't living during this time. This is just bad. I can't wait for God to come rescue, this, rescue us out of this world. And so what's Arnie's thought experiment as their friend? What 100-year period of history would you ever want to live in other, other than this time? You can do the thought experiment too. There's no 100-year period you'd rather live in. People say, oh, if I could just been a first-century church Christian. Really, do you read the book of Corinthians? Do you realize how messed up the church was at that time? I mean, that's really where you wanted to live, right? Oh, no, I, I wanted to live in the 50s. Because that just seemed like the, you know, the best. Okay, so that's 1850 to 1950. You know, the war between the states, World War I, World War II. I mean, pick any 100-year period. And of course, I'm post-mill, so I can, I can advocate that. But what I'm trying to emphasize with that is God in his mercy restrains evil. Because things could be a lot worse at any period in history. Pick the worst period in history. Um, I remember hearing stories about trench warfare in World War One. That's because I was a little boy when you know World War One guys were walking on the Fourth of July parades in Newark, Illinois. But then we say, oh, Vietnam. Vietnam was bad, and it's always going to be something else. Oh, the World Trade Center could never be worse than that. And a lot of you guys don't even know what the World Trade Center bombing was because you're too young. But it can always be worse. Always be worse. God in his mercy restrains, restrains the devil. Restrains. He's roaming around the world, earth, and he's looking to devour, but he's only given us the desires of our own heart. And so God give. so who's this? This is a little glimpse into next week too, but okay, the first Adam blew it, right? He represented us well. We would have done the same thing, right? We wish we wouldn't have. And every day when we sin, you know, we're reminded that he represented us well. Because we would say, oh, if I was given that chance, I remember as a little kid thinking that. If I was Adam, God, no way I would have eaten of that tree. And, and the older you get, you go, what a stupid thing to say that was. So who's the second Adam? Who's the hero? Who scores the winning touchdown? Who kills the dragon? Yes? Say it loud. Jesus, that's right. He is the second Adam. And does he represent us well? It goes back to what Justin said. Depends on what it means. He is the guy that said, I am going to be 
100% submissive to the Father. I am going to obey. And he represented us how we think we would have been represented or how we wish, how we, wish we would have acted. Jesus was 100% obedient. And in Romans, I'll just read Romans uh, 12 through 19, because as much as we're horrible and sinners and we're all affected by it, the good news is Jesus. Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that one man was Adam, and he represented all of humankind, all of humankind. So it came through one man and death through sin. So we're dead because of our sin. And so death spread to all man. He was a representative head, just like a husband is a representative head over his family. Elders are representative heads over the church members. So death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world. When did the sin enter the world? Before God gave him to-dos or not to-do? Or Sin entered the world before the law was given. Right? Just read. Genesis 1 happens before Exodus 20. Right? Happened before. I'm quoting Paul from the book of Romans. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not, like the transgressions of Adam, who was a type of the one yet to come. So who's the type of one yet to come? Say it loud. Who is the type yet to come from Adam? Jesus. There you go. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more, much more, have the grace of God. Remember the wide road, the narrow road? Much more. The road's going to be filled with believers at the end of times. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that for man's sin, for the judgment following one, tresp one trespass. And was the trespass eating the fruit? Yeah, it was eating the fruit. But what was the trespass? He wanted to be God. Right? That's what we do too every time we sin. We don't want to follow God's rules. God's statutes, we want. And God's rules and statutes, you can substitute for the law, which this is a, that's what it says here. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So Adam had one trespass, out. We have many trespasses, right? And we still have the free gift of salvation. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. What's justification mean? How do we get justified when we're sinful? Think of a court of law, right? You're, you're going before a judge, right? Are you guilty? Yeah? How do you get justified? Who, who, who's your justifier? Remember I said earlier, how do you cover your sin unrighteously? How is your sin covered righteously? 
unrighteously. We lie. We say we didn't do it. You know, we, we don't want to tell anybody. Don't even, it's crazy. We don't even want to confess our sin to God as if God doesn't know everything that goes on in the world. We, we think we can hide from God. And that's laughable, right? What did Adam do after he sinned? He tried to hide from God. That's what we do. It's just, it's just silly. We only get justified through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus, the faithful second, Adam. For if because of one man's trespass, death reign, through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of, how are we saved? We are saved by grace through faith. So how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, and what does it cost, grace? What does that cost us? How much do you have to pay for your grace that God gives you? The free gift, the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What did it cost Jesus? What did it cost Jesus? His life, right? Jesus died that we might be saved and we need to die to ourselves every second, not our own desires, but God's desires. That's working out your um, sanctification. So next week, we're going to study the covenant and how all this buildup in the catechism leads to the covenant. And we'll talk about duties and responsibilities because you don't get, well, the covenant's not just some abstract thing that God made up. It's a reflection of who God is in the triune God. So encourage others to come. Hopefully it's worth your while and you keep on, keep on coming to Sunday school. Let's pray. God, Thank you for the divines. Thank you for the men of old who worked through the scripture. All the scriptural proof texts that are in these confessional standards are just amazing. Because oftentimes we don't know the scriptures well enough. We don't read them or we read them and don't remember them. And it's just a blessing that you've given us these standards. Thank you for all those that are coming to church today, both at Christ Church and other faithful churches. And we're thankful for those that have come to Sunday school. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.